Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. Guys, I have a treat for you today. I have Dr. Dave Shirazi. And Dr. J- Dave is actually the director of TMJ Sleep and Therapy Center in Co- Conejo and Los Angeles, correct? That's right. That's right. Good to and he has, thank you. And he has years of experience. And in this episode, we're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about pain, joint pain, TMJ, pain, um, pain, in, pain in your jaw, and so on and so forth. So if you struggle with headaches, if you struggle with sleep issues, this is the episode for you. So stay tuned because Dr. Dave is going to drop some knowledge on us today. Hey, hey Dr. Do Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the intro and um, <laughs> what a great segue. Um, yeah, I just want to know if, if your um, uh, listeners are focusing more on like easy weight release and and things like that, just ask away. I'm happy to to help you in any way I can. All right, let's get the puppy started. First, Dr. Dave, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your practice. Ah, okay. So uh, by profession, I'm a dentist and an acupuncturist. And for five years, I was a sleep technologist. And I have two centers that focus on chronic pain from the neck up and um, snoring and sleep apnea, predominantly using oral appliances. Because, you know, people who have sleep apnea, they pretty much know that the main option that's kind of forced upon them is the CPAP. And it works. It works if you can tolerate it. Um, But those that can't tolerate it want an option that's like as good or almost as good. And the oral appliances are that. And the third thing I do in my office is what's called functional orthodontics, which is how I got into doing TMJ and sleep work. Uh, But functional orthodontics is what we call uh, the style of orthodontics that wants to address the core issues that allowed the orthodontic problem to happen in the first place. So if you have crowding, it's often an airway issue. If you have uh, spacing, it's often um, uh, a tongue thrust, you know, and, and for example, if, if you have what we call jaw discrepancies, it just means the jaw needs to be developed one or the other or both. Oh, quite interesting. And so what, what makes your, your, your clinic, I would say, unique compared to how others may approach it? Well, um, you know, we don't have uh, everything standardized in TMJ and sleep yet. Um, I think the majority of pain clinics, the dental TMJ pain clinics, what we call orofacial pain clinics, uh, they're predominantly drug-based. They, they want to, you know, put patients on medication to help them with their pain. Um, our, my focus is to not do that. I mean, I, of course, I use medication when it's absolutely necessary. But uh, again, it's, I'm more functional. I want to come from the standpoint of what could be causing their pain problems and then what do we do to fix that? That's going to be my focus. 
I absolutely love that. And that's what makes you perfect for my audience, because that's what I try to drive home. That yeah. sometimes people hear me talk and they say, well, you, you know, they think I have a problem with medicine. It's like, no, I don't have an issue with medicine as long as you're using it appropriately. That's right. If you're not immediately going to the medication instead of looking at where the issue actually lies, because at some point you're addressing the symptom That's and right. not the illness. That's and right. then the illness never gets better, right? That's right. That's exactly. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, I loved your story that you shared with me about the problems you had to deal with, with knees, you know, asthma and nasal blockage and et cetera, and how you had to like take it upon yourself. Um, when I was 18, I had a cold and I went to the doctor and he gave me antibiotics, right? And everyone in my family is a doctor or dentist. So I told the guy, if it's, if, if it's in my nose, it's a virus, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, if it's a virus, why are you giving me an antibiotic? And he goes, well, the antibiotic will focus uh, on the, uh, the bugs in your system so that your immune system can focus on the virus. I said, okay, I took it. I called my mom. You know, my mom's a dentist. She's like, well, if the doctor told you to take it, you have to take it, you know, that whole thing. And I did, I got better. And, um, you know, this is before the internet, right? This is 30 years ago. So I uh, went to the library, looked up uh, antibiotics for viral conditions. And even back then, even 30 years ago, we knew you don't do that. Uh, that it can cause uh, a different set of problems or even an intolerance um, or unusability of the antibiotic when you really need it. So that was like one of the, and I remember I walked out of that experience and I was just thinking that these people don't know what the hell they're doing was like, was really the thought I, I had um, because giving antibiotics should be something you do in an emergency situation. Giving a steroid should be something you do in an emergency situation, right? Surgery, you know, in an emergency situation, uh, preventative, you know, helping you recover from cold and flu symptoms that would be something I would want to get for myself, um, which is why I became an acupuncturist. And then if it is an emergency, then go to the doctor. Perfect. I love that. And let's talk about gut bacteria a little bit and talk about antibiotics, right? Okay. So of course, you're familiar, you know that our gut has good bacteria and bad bacteria. Absolutely. That's why, exactly. And in today's, you know, if you Google, you go on Google now, you find where people talk about probiotics and your gut buddies and so on and so forth. <laughs> we know <laughs> that's um, Dr. Stephen Gundry. He calls them our gut buddies. I did. I, I follow his stuff. He's actually local to me, um, but I've never heard gut buddies before. I like it. <laughs> when I uh, first started working on my asthma, his book, The Plant Paradox, was the first book I picked up. Okay. And I learned a ton of stuff. I was, uh, I guess you say, I was kind of skeptic in the beginning just because I'm a natural skeptic, <laughs> but as I started to implement his program, I started to feel better. And I was like, okay, there has to be some truth to this. And that's the shit, this is quote I'm about, is actually about to come from Dr. Gundry, because he says that when you take antibiotics, you're literally dropping a bomb on your gut, killing right. everything. His exact words were, you're napalming a forest. I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> no, in his book, in his book, that's what he said. And he says, even when the foliage and everything grows back, it'll never be the same. Ah, makes sense. And that's why if you think of it, I, uh, I did a post on my Instagram about it, I think it was last week. 
and I was talking about NSIDs, right? So like Excedrin and so on and so forth and the damage it does to our gut. And we don't realize that one of the reasons why, if, if not the main reason why there are so many side effects is because they don't, they don't just destroy the good things in our bodies. I'm sorry, they don't just destroy the bad things mean. in our bodies, yeah. but the good things as well, right? That's right, that's right. And that's why saying, I just want a pill, we got to realize what we're doing to ourselves. There are times right. when the pill is important, but it can't be. That's like you say, that's like saying, you know what? My leg hurt. Let's go have surgery. <laughs> you know, without thinking of anything else. I agree. I agree. <laughs> you know, so. And then you have to deal with the consequences of the surgery. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we have to we have to change our minds a little bit. We have we I have to so. really focus in. I and think so. so. So you touched a little bit on sleep apnea already. What are some uh common causes that you come of across? Sleep apnea. So well, in children, we think the predominant cause is mouth breathing uh, caused by not enough nasal patency, which is why I do the functional orthodontics, because the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So when you expand the palate, you're increasing the volumetric flow um, at a rate of four times of what you do in terms of your, of your expansion. So in children, I would say it's that. In adults, it can be that. Um, but we typically call it a problem of neuromuscular tone. You don't have enough muscle tone in your tongue, your throat, your airway. And when you're you know, lying on your back, lying on your sides and asleep and unconscious, those tissues get very shallow. Like the airway gets very shallow because the, the tissues start to collapse in on itself, right? And then there is a principle in physics called the Bernoulli principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but um, it's sort of like when you're, uh, when you pinch a hose, right? Uh, and it makes the air, the water go faster so you can water the lawn further down in your yard. Um, but if you press too hard, it'll close up, right? Mm -hmm. So the Bernoulli principle says it treats air like a fluid. And when you have the same volume of air going through a smaller hose, it has to go faster, right? As it accelerates, as it's the, the speed is up, it actually sucks the walls in. So that's why we say with, with you know, sleep apnea, the worse it gets, the worse it gets. That makes sense. So that's why someone may get to the point that they need a CPAP machine, right? That's right. Well, CPAP is offered for everyone, mild, moderate, or severe. It's pretty much oh. offered for everyone, um, but it has, and it works. It just, it has a roughly 50% adherence rate, which is really low, really, that really low. That does sound pretty low. Yeah. That does sound pretty so, low. But like oral appliances um, for sleep apnea, uh, the ones that I make, that dentists make, um, they're more, um, like they're tolerated 80 plus percent of the time. They're as efficacious, 75 to 80% of the time, um, they're, they're just a, a whole, like a whole different thing. It's like wearing a retainer um, versus wearing a CPAP. So in my lectures, I, I jokingly say that the difference between uh, a CPAP and, a, and an oral appliance is the difference between um, a suppository and a uh, ointment, right? Uh, the gotcha. suppository works a lot better 
but you got to stick your finger in there every night, right? There you go. And, right. and a, a topical works, just not 100% as good as a suppository, but it sure is a lot easier to, to put on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. And you started by talking about breathing, which I think is very important because I told you earlier about my asthma issues. And yes, um, my I've been fit most of my adult life. So I knew that my asthma wasn't really related to my fitness level. But learning how to breathe was an important was important for me to overcome my asthma issues as well. Yes. Because, for example, mouth breathing. I learned, and it's a book by, uh, I think it's James Nestor, I believe, and it's called Breathe, right yeah. on the nose. And uh, I learned proper techniques of breathing, and I realized that I've been a mouth breather all my life. Nobody ever told me otherwise. I've been a shallow yeah. mouth and chest breather all my life. We have this magical thing called a diaphragm. Who knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I've never, I've, I've never really intentionally used it because I've been a chest breather all my life. And even when I run and I train, I train now with breathing through my diaphragm and I don't really open my mouth except, except if I have to talk. Right. And, and now it's, I, I perform, at first it felt kind of weird, but okay. I've started performing at a higher and higher level because mm. I was able to take in more oxygen and expel more CO2 through my nose than through my mouth because I wasn't shallow breathing anymore. That's right. Um, well, y yes and no. So I just need to like be technical. So when you mouth breathe, you get rid of too much CO2. Makes sense. When you slow breathe, which can be shallow, through your nose exclusively, that is shallow breathing that actually builds up to a normal level of entitled CO2. Mm. Yeah. When we mouth breathe, we just get rid of it too much. And that has a huge impact. Autonomic nervous system shifts to sympathetic dystrophy. No, that makes sense. So then essentially what you're saying is if you were to, prop to properly nose breathe for long enough, mm -hmm. then your body is able to actually utilize CO2 more efficiently, correct? Uh, yes. Well, have CO2. So we need CO2 in order to release oxygen from our hemoglobin. Oh. Right? We, have, we have like, I think two oxygen receptors in our body and we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CO2 receptors in our body, right? Um, and the body doesn't like to do things that are unnecessary, <laughs> right? So the fact that we have all these receptors tells us that CO2 can be just as important if not more than O2. Ah, that makes sense. Because if that were the case, you wouldn't have as many receptors in your body, of course. Exactly. And, and of course, we, and the range, by the way, that could be another reason, is the range. So um, we need between minimum 35 millimeters of mercury and maximum like 48, 50 millimeters of mercury to survive. Any lower, any higher than that could be death. So wow. we have to maintain that, that pressure at all times. Wow. So I'm hope you guys are really listening and taking notes. And if you miss anything, stop and rewind and pay attention to exactly what Dr. Dave is giving us right now, because this is really important. And these are things that we just don't think about enough. So thank you, Dr. Dave, for that. You're awesome, man. My pleasure. Carry on.
So tell me more, what is, uh, is, the T is TMJ disorder and what are some signs of someone who may suffer from it? So TMJ stands for temporal, like temporal bone, mandibular jaw, you know, and J means joint. So we have a joint that is, you know, at the end of our jaw and it absorbs the impact of chewing and swallowing and clenching, our biting forces, yeah? And if the joint itself, the joint itself doesn't have a lot of nerves with it, uh, but behind the joint, we have a huge plexus of nerves and blood vessels. And if we're clenching and our jaws recess too far back, that area gets compressed and it triggers pain. And, and that can lead to a myriad of other things like tension type headache, migraine type headache, facial pain, neuralgias, neck pain, uh, what we call trapezius syndrome when your muscles are so tense up there. Um, it's so, and of course, it's, I believe it's the number two cause of ear problems after infection. So it can be related to ear pain, ear congestion, tinnitus. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's associated with a lot more things than it of itself, right? And the reason that is, is we have a mechanism in our brain, in our prefrontal cortex, where we don't want to have redundant information that is not useful, right? So if you walk into a room that smells very bad, after like a minute or so, you don't smell it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can't really do anything about that smell at that point, right? Uh. So with the jaw, we never get a break from the jaw. We swallow two to 3,000 times a day, we chew, we talk, and then we clench our teeth at night, right? So if every time someone swallows, you're actually triggering some jaw pain, then what's gonna happen? Well, um, you might wanna change your posture, but you also, your brain goes out of its way not to remind you of that pain every time you swallow. Swallowing is a survival instinct, so that takes precedence over pain. Yeah? Sure. So it, it's very subtle. So like, you know, I know a lot of people go see chiropractors and neurologists to treat their tension-type headaches. Um, and that those are all good ideas. Great to get a consult. But if you have any kind of TMJ problem, especially clenching of your teeth, um, working with a chiro, working with a neurologist will be limited until you address the jaw issue. Which is the actual illness, not the symptom. Because when we get the headache, we're thinking, I just want to get rid of this, right? That's right. But, but then when you actually ad address the issue, then the headaches can over time go away, even though it may even take a little bit longer, depending. Right. It's, still, it's still that you're addressing the issue, which is more of a long-term solution is if I'm paraphrasing correctly. You're, you're doing it right. Awesome. So if, if someone ha um, suffers with TMJ disorder, right? Yeah. Are there any things on a day-to-day -day basis they can do to kind of to help themselves before seeing a specialist? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is making sure you can breathe through your nose properly. That's the number one thing that we find that's related. So um, some people have a nasal valve issue, which is the opening into your nose. Some people have deviated septums or enlarged turbinates. And sometimes they need surgery, but more oftentimes they need like a nasal spray. Like I make my own nasal spray with essential oils 
And that seems to clear out the nose pretty well. Wow, that's great. And I like that you went back to nose breathing because I do have a point on that as well because earlier we were talking about nose breathing and we were talking about your nervous system. Yeah. A lot of people ensure you being a doctor is familiar, you're familiar with the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't realize that the way that we breathe has such an impact on our vagal tone. It does. And exactly. And that's what we really miss because if you're heavy breathe, if you're a heavy breather and you don't and you breathe, you don't breathe, you, you don't nose breathe, then you can activate more of your parasympathetic nervous system. Now, this is key for a lot of people when it comes to weight management, because if you're eating consistently in a a parasympathetic state, you're actually triggering more weight gain. A lot Mm -hmm. of people don't realize that because Mm -hmm. you're telling your body you're in a constant fight or flight mode. You're not supposed to eat in a fight or flight mode. Who fights and eats at the same time? (laughs) (laughs) Very true. So by proper but nose breathing and you activate your symp- your, parasymp- your um, parasympathetic nervous system. For some reason, doctor, I always get those two words messed up. Sympathetic <laughs> sounds more like it should be more relaxing and parasympathetic the other oh, way around. Man. And those two words screw my head all the time. But oh, activating um, your parasympathetic nervous system where you're more in a rest and digest state. And this is in the name, right? Rest and digest. Right. That's how you're supposed to eat. And also by putting it, throwing yourself in a sympathetic state consistently, that pushes a lot of tension on your large organs because your body constantly thinks you're in, you're in danger. Like in one of my episodes, I mentioned if you're yelling at somebody in traffic, your body doesn't know that you're yelling at somebody in traffic. It's going to raise your blood pressure. It's going to raise your cortisol level. It's just going to do what it needs because all your body knows is that it hits it. Your, 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 your pressure is raised, right? You may yeah. think you're in danger. Who knows what's going on? But it's, it recognizes that stress. So proper breathing is very important. Yogis, meditation. We, we tend to kind of shrug at these things. We don't realize how important they are for overall health because yeah. part of any meditation or yoga practice is proper breath work. And everyone I've come across teach nose proper nose breathing in ways to activate your parasympathetic nervous system yeah i agree you know that's the thing um there's a comedian named trevor noah who pointed that out that when colonists first went to africa you know they thought they were savages you know and they would say oh you know you guys don't even wear shoes right and now of course they're talking about the benefits of grounding and they said oh my god look at you, you have chickens in your backyard, right? And that's so unhygienic and uncouth. And now like every Karen in Beverly Hills wants a, you know, chicken coop. Free range. And free to get her free range eggs, right? And, they go, and the list really goes on and on, right? It's, it's, it's quite arrogant to think that um, we have everything in the best. And like Western medicine is about 200 years old. It's 200 years old. And Chinese medicine is roughly 5,000 years old, right? Exactly. And the actual texts, the first original texts were written about 2,500 years old. The Ayurvedic ones, like five, 6,000 years old. So it, 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 it's a bit of arrogance to think that we've got the best of everything when we don't. We figured it all out somehow. But <laughs> you know what? It's, it's interesting to me, though, that we, we think that somehow, but yet... 
um, diabetes has gotten worse. Um, yeah, obesity has gotten worse. COPD, high blood pressure has gotten worse. So if you're just looking at the pudding, right? They said the proof is in the pudding. You just look <laughs> at the pudding. Something is wrong with that pudding. It doesn't taste right. <laughs> the the color right. is off. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Right. And, you know, with, with respect, um, I mean, Western medicine has saved countless lives, you know, in emergency situations. We, you know, we can't say enough about that, about what it's done. Um, but for day-to-day -day operations, boy, uh, they could use some help, man. I really think so. It's kind of like I said, like if my leg hurt, just, just, just take me to the operating room. Chop it off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do I need right. this thing for? It's hurting right now. Exactly. Just get rid of it. You know, ironically, even though no one really talks like that or that or talk like that is very, very rare. What is very common is people that go to dentists with tooth pain. They will say, just cut it out. Just take out my tooth. I don't want it anymore. You know, and and we don't recommend that most of the time. We're like, listen, you'll, you'll be better off with your food, with your tooth. So you can <laughs> chew food, you know. They're not going to grow back, people, unless you may be under right. what? 10 or something? What's the age when you lose your teeth? I don't remember what it is now. Um, they, well, I mean, the first teeth start to exfoliate around six or seven. And then, but usually by the time you're 12, you've gotten rid of all your baby teeth and you have nothing but adult teeth. There we go. So I know I deviated a little bit. So let's get back on Sorry. track here, Dr. Dave. No, that's all my fault. I, uh, I tend to drive the train off the tracks a little bit sometimes. <laughs> um, let's talk, let's go back and talk about migraines a little bit. So okay. what are the two main types of migraines? Well, I mean, we really break them down, you know, clinically into with aura or without aura, right? Aura is when the person, um, the peripheral vision is blocked or they see floaters or there's while they're going through the migraine, the headache, um, they'll actually, their vision is disturbed. We, we call that an aura. And, you know, what we really notice about that, from my point of view, is the ones with aura seem to have an extra another level of sympathetic dystrophy of that autonomic nervous system being, you know, in, in, in high uh, mode. And we actually see an overlap with higher uh, stroke rates on people that have migraines with aura versus without aura. Right. But, you know, we have to always ask the question. So this is something that even doctors uh, are so indoctrinated with that they don't know yet. Um, you know, we call migraine a trigeminal vascular disorder, right? Predominantly, the medications are there because you have a blood vessel that's opening and closing and opening. Um, the medications are focusing on the blood vessel work, right? But, you know, as I always say, the blood vessels don't have a mind of their own. You know, right. a nerve is telling them to open and close, right? So I think it would behoove us to go, okay, well, why, why is this trigeminal nerve so inflamed? It's gone through a process called central sensitization that causes the migraine to begin with, right? So we know orthopedic problems like jaw pain, neck pain um, can cause it. Hormonal imbalances we know can relate to this, right? We have something called a menstrual migraine that happens a day or two before uh, there's a woman's cycle. 
Um, we know food sensitivities can, can be associated with migraines. And there are even some emotional traumas associated with migraines. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And something you, I want to tie back to, because you talked about inflammation just a while mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. And it's, I'm kind of, I guess you say inflammation's friend a little bit. Okay. Because when you, if you Google inflammation now, you hear all kinds of bad things. Like you need to go on Instagram or anywhere people talk about inflammation and they're like, oh, my inflammation causes this and this problem and eat omega-3s and all that wonderful stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, and doctor, you, but you understand how inflammation actually works. And you know yeah. that that's a necessary process of your body, right? Yeah. The, the issue is where most of us go wrong is that we cause excess inflammation. Excess is the word excess inflammation by our diet and by our lifestyle which is yeah. then it's funny that you talked about your your nervous system because then by having excess inflammation your body has to fight to heal itself which can then turn up your sympathetic nervous system because your body thinks you're in danger and right. we don't realize how intelligent our body really is mm -hmm. and our body is designed to heal us and protect us so That's by right. constantly damaging our bodies causing inflammation, causing oxidative stress, our bodies are always in that state of, I got to heal, I have to heal, I have to heal. And there's only so much your body can do. And then eventually you have to be on Western medicine because you've caused a bunch of problems in the last 20, 30 years that you never actually addressed. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very mindful of how intelligent our body is and what our bodies are trying to do for us, but you have to give it the opportunity to do it. And that's when working with doctors like Dr. Dave, and Dr. Gundry and individuals who under who don't who use medicine as a part of their toolbox, but yeah. not their go-to. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when if if so if if I come to you, doctor, right, and I say I just want to kind of walk through a scenario, and I'm like, hey, doctor, I have I have migraines. I'm struggling right now. Okay. What would that initial conversation sound like? Well, you know, our forms are like 10 pages long and we're going to do a comprehensive evaluation. Okay, do you have jaw pain? Do you have neck pain? Do you have sinus issues? Do you have all the things that we know are correlated? And we're going to see, okay, because I know what I can offer. I have to see if what I have to offer is related to the migraine. So for example, we were talking about how food sensitivities, IgG, food intolerances, and hormonal issues and things like that um, can cause a migraine or be associated with a migraine. And so I have to see, well, if, if that's the issue and there is no TMJ problem, neck problem, nose problem, well, then probably it's not best to see me. Maybe you should consider getting a blood test to find out what your food sensitivities are or having a hormone panel done and have some bioidentical hormones made to balance out your hormones. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to always check to see if there is an underlying problem that I can treat. So for example, remember we talked about migraines are a centrally sensitized trigeminal disorder in the brain. So I've had patients, just anecdotally, I've had patients that had menstrual migraines, right? They get their migraines a day or two before their period. And very obvious hormone imbalance, right? Usually I think we consider it a spike in the estrogen. But I've actually treated these people who had also a pretty advanced TMJ problem. And by the end of treatment, they said, oh, my migraines are gone. 
right? That's very commonly happened, or it's been reduced. And obviously, I didn't do anything for their hormones, right? I mean, directly. Um, but if that uh, central, the component that caused the central sensitization in the brain is now being reduced. So if they had two things going into it, you got the, the food sensitivity, you got the hormonal imbalance, you got the TMJ problem, the neck problem. And I addressed a big component of that. Well, that could be enough to keep the neurology down so that even there's a hormonal spike during you know, onset of menses, that that doesn't trigger a migraine. Oh, interesting. And you know what? You say that whenever I, I try to stay in my lane. So I don't <laughs> talk about menses that much okay. because I'm going to get a, a lot of questions and uh, a lot of comments. Which you can't answer, right? <laughs> exactly. So I try to stay away from it. But, you know, I've had female doctors on the show that that's addressed the issue. And one of the more common things we hear is, especially males, is you don't understand. You've never you've never had this before. It's never happened to you before. But the thing is that what these doctors explain to me is that what most females consider as normal or common is not optimal or ideal. That's so, and that's where we're like, oh, I, you know, this just happens when I get my period. Well, for 20, 30 years, I mean, come on now. So there are things that if we were to address, address the, the, what we need to address, hormone rebalancing can happen, which is a very important key. That's the same approach I take with, um, with my clients. I'm, I'm, I'm a certified weight management expert and nutrition specialist, but I can't tell them, hey, I'm going to heal your diabetes or your heart problems. Right. Exactly. But, but addressing their nutrition, addressing the weight part of it and training their bodies to operate efficiently, they drop their uses of insulin. I've had clients that moved from a 9.1% um, um, of the A1C to a 6.4. I've had clients that move from taking six to four doses of insulin daily to, to down to like 20 doses daily and still making progress. But I didn't get to get into it saying, hey, I'm going to do that because I'm not legally allowed to do so. But when I help you help your body operate the way it's designed to operate, then your body will then fix itself because like we said before your body designed to heal itself you mentioned earlier you talked about grounding well those are things that we should be doing naturally getting sunlight things you're supposed to be doing naturally exposing ourselves yeah. to nature these are the things what we're supposed to do even as we talk about mental health when we shut ourselves inside it's harder for us to function we get cranky our bodies are not designed to be inside for a long periods of time as humans. And that's one of the reasons why suicide and mental health issues will increase in the colder months because yeah. we're not designed for that. When I talk to people who have mental health issues and one of the most common things, if not the most common thing I find is they don't get sun and they spend a lot of time inside. Yeah. Vitamin D is, is considered a huge component in that actually. Yeah, because, you know, we, we naturally receive vitamin D uh, from being in the sun. Um, and obviously in winter months, when it's a lot darker, we don't get it. So exactly. it, that, that is something that happens where, you know, we can actually quantify it as a vitamin D deficiency, what we call seasonal affect disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sad. Yep, exactly.
Exactly. And then, you know, because often we think of vitamin D as just for our bones. Well, yeah. it's not that simple. <laughs> it does, I agree. It does a lot more than that. I mean, there's now research coming out saying that um, getting access to vitamin D and, and direct sunlight mm-hmm. has an impact with our, on, our, on our fat cells, on our adipose yeah. tissue, and yeah. can in, increase weight loss. So those things play such sure. an important role that we just ignore. So moral of this part of the story is get more sunlight. And if you weren't listening before, stop breathing out of your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But Dr. Noah, we've shared a lot and you've given us a lot of good information. And trust me, my my, my audience is going to love this episode. I'm going to post it everywhere. Oh, good. Um, Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Definitely. You're you're amazing, man. I I said in the beginning, guys, he's going to school us and he schooled me. So this, this, this episode is amazing. Is there anything though that I haven't asked that you would like to address my audience? Oh my God, there's so many things. This, this subject is so very fertile, right? There's so many things that we can uh, talk about in the context of sleep. But one thing I think that is so important is, you know, everyone knows the importance of growth hormone, yeah? Well, we get over 90% of our growth hormone from one stage of sleep. Oh, really? So when we have disturbances in our sleep from snoring, sleep apnea, a noisy bed partner, a neighbor's barking dog, we actually reduce the amount of growth hormone we have dramatically. And children are much more susceptible, but still, even with adults. And after we're done growing, we need growth hormone to heal. Right. Right. So that that's a big aspect of it, I think. Right. And then, of course, REM really helps us with mental, emotional uh, repair and restructuring as well, which, you know, if you're in a better mood, you're less likely to go and eat something when you're not hungry. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And just to let you know, I never stop growing. Um, I'm still growing in some in some physical way all, at all times, <laughs> but okay. no, you're right. I do. Seriously. I do see the, um, I do see the difference. Sleep is a big thing for me and a big thing for my clients because I see and feel the difference when I do get quality sleep. Um, and resetting your circadian rhythm, for example, when we talk about sleep and then we talk about the internal clock and the circadian clock, which does a lot more for your body than just sleep, but it is, Definitely directly related to getting quality sleep. And we're in such a reverse now in society where we don't get, we don't tend to get sunlight in the daytime, but we get all this blue light at night. So mm. at nighttime, we're supposed to be falling asleep. Your body thinks it's daytime. And you're like, why can't I fall asleep at night? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They need to at least wear a very, I wear, I'm on my phone too at night, most nights. And I wear what's called the blue blocker, those little dark orange glasses. And it reduces it and I can fall asleep pretty easy. Same here. And I also, uh, I have the blue light filter on on my phone. It turns bright orange. And everyone asks me for a text Mm -hmm. after about nine o'clock or so, they get a very bright orange screen. They're like, I can't read it. So, well, wait till tomorrow morning. (laughs) That's great. But yeah, Great. So thank again, thank you so much, Dr. Dave. You've given us some really good information. Um, I definitely want to have you on in the show in the future as the show is growing because mm-hmm. you've taught me a lot and um, you've definitely taught my audience a lot. What are the best ways to get in touch with you? So if for 
either scheduling an appointment or just learning. Um, I have two websites, TMJLA and TMJ Conejo, and Conejo is spelled C-O-N-E-J-O, but TMJLA is obviously the easiest one to remember. Um, and if you do, if you go on YouTube, I have a bunch of videos. I did a one-hour Google Talk, which was a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of lot of information out there and a lot of ways to get a hold of us. Great. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm going to take a, another look at your YouTube. I haven't looked at your YouTube as of yet. So I'm okay. going to take a look at that and also share it with my audience as well, because I believe oh, it will be very you. beneficial. That'd be great. That'd be great. No, thank you. Your doctors like you put a smile on my face. And it reminds me why I do this, that I don't feel like I'm alone. And we, are, we have people in the medical field who actually understands how to treat the actual illness and not the yeah. symptoms. So thank and you're you so right. much. And, they, and oh. you're right. Those people do need more attention. They, they, need, they need more attention. Definitely. You're definitely right. Thank you so much, doctor. And guys, I should let you know, I will get the links. So um, I will put um, his links in the show notes so you can access all, his, all um, Dr. Dave's information as well and go directly to his YouTube, directly to his page, so you can learn a lot more. Thank you, Dr. Dave, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, co-workers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.